I am Lucas Mack, and I'm on a mission to see the hurting get healed and the healed go out and heal others in order for all of us to experience the true love and light we desire. This podcast is me sharing my journey with you so you don't feel alone in your journey. Welcome to the Golden Rule Revolution. Hello, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to another episode of the Golden Rule Revolution. I hope you're well. I am Lucas Mack. Thank you for joining. Today, I'm excited to bring to you my brother, Trent Hogg, on the podcast. He shares an incredible story. Um, it, it only goes to affirming all the synchronicities in our life and that I really believe that our soul chose our journey, got to see what would happen in our lives so that we could break the cycles, heal the traumas and be uh, the heroes of our own story. And Trent's story is, I think, rather remarkable. You're going to hear the synchronicities of it. Uh, So brother Trent, thank you for coming on. It's been a while since we recorded this and I'm glad I finally got it out and everyone enjoy. Well, my brother Trent, thank you for coming on the podcast, and and again, thank you, Maya Lisa, for the introduction to Trent. And um, brother, when you and I talked, it was awesome. I felt like found a new brother in this world, you know, and and just connecting. And um, so, thank you for coming on. Oh man, thanks for having me. I really, really appreciate the opportunity. Yes, thanks, Maya Lisa, for the for the connection. And I've I felt the exact same way. We just seem to hit it off right off the bat and no, and no worries. You're like, Oh my God, this and this and this. So it was really, really cool. Yep. That's cool. And I was, uh, we talked, I don't know, was back in maybe November or something like that. And then, or no, yeah. it must've been October or sometime. It, it then been time moved. runs together. I'm, uh, yeah, totally. And then it's like, Oh, here we are. We, it felt like so far out that we booked it, but here we are recording. Yep. So I'm so glad we're doing it. No, um, I've been looking forward to it. Same man. Um, so share your story. Your, I think so many people are going to relate to your story and go ahead, brother, share your story for like growing up and what you experienced and which led you to the work you're doing now with, with people healing and. Yeah, well, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I gotta say though, real quick, I was watching one of your previous episodes with, um, the guy who's, he was originally from Ireland. I can't think of his name. Oh yeah. Trev Carney. Yeah. Yeah. Trev Carney and the whole Catholicism thing and the Catholic talk or whatever that resonated because I grew up the same way in those schools mm, and everything. So that yeah. was another piece. That's what will be another piece of the story as well. But wow. um, no, I was, I, I was like at the beginning, beginning, I was born uh, like almost two months premature. Mm. So I was, I was already ready to come into the world. Just didn't know the world wasn't ready for me or I wasn't ready for it, whichever one you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but I, when I was really young, um, I guess my parents divorced and, you know, seeing, I have, you know, with, with my mom for, the majority of the time seeing my biological father um every other weekend and it was like that for, until i was in the sixth grade and it was and then he gave up his rights to my brother and i and my stepdad adopted my brother and i still with my mom and you know that was like the greatest gift but at the same time when you're that young you don't understand what that can turn into later and what that looks like and what that represents. Um, and that represented abandonment as I got older. Mm. Um, even though I lived the best life, you know, with my stepdad and my mom, it was still those missing pieces and that kind of stuff. And, uh, then going off to college and 
and everything, but there's so many pieces that are in between. Like, I don't want to, I don't know where, like to where you want me to start and where I'd like to, to begin. There's just so many pieces that are to it. Well, let's do you, um, how old were you again when your dad left? I was in the sixth grade. So, so you remember that? I mean, what do you recalling looking back now, obviously you've done so much work, but I mean, looking back now, did that create confusion? Did you understand what was going on back then? Uh, I understood. And yeah, I was a little confused, but I wasn't. Um, mm. it, it was just a matter of, okay, now I've got this life over here and I'll, I was essentially like, I'll never see him again, mm. you know, or I, I can't see him until I'm 18. If I want to see him, then that's just legality of adoption, giving up rights and that kind of stuff, because you get 18 year adult, you can do whatever you want to do then. But no, it was, um, it was bizarre. I mean, I would sit there at night, just kind of curious of like, how did this all come to be? What, mm. you know, looking back now, it's, and having gone through some similar things of like divorce, this kind of stuff, it's not about the two anymore. Kids really don't care about the two anymore. It's about, you try to make it about the kid mm. or your kids or whatever. And, you know, kind of just having that thought, you know, it's like, why did, what leads someone to give up mm. their own blood? And it happened that he, he was married and got divorced, remarried the same woman and ended up like, I don't know if adopting her kids or whatever. Mm. So he gave like his own blood, you know, to be with this other woman who treated me like absolute shit, mm. uh, growing up. And when they got together, I mean, she was a horrible, horrible person. Mm. And I, and I still feel that way. She just, there's not a redeeming quality to her in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I mean, I had a good life overall, uh, you know, growing up and I, I got into golf, my stepdad got me into golf and I, I had a natural talent for that. So that was just something that he and I could share. My mom got into it. So the three of us, my brother wasn't really into golf. He tried, but he'd get too frustrated and that kind of stuff. His thing was more <laughs> tennis. So he kind of did his own thing, but you know, my mom, my stepdad and myself, we'd all go play golf mm. and, um, that was just, I just remember those times of being so special and they, mm -hmm. they always will be special to me because it was, I finally found something I was good at. I didn't feel that abandonment piece. I didn't feel any kind of rejection. It was just like, I fit. And that's a very mm -hmm. solitary sport at the same time. So the times I would walk, you know, I just kind of reflected on just being outside and in, in, in my life and like, you know, all right, you know, this is, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, and then when I got into the eighth grade, my stepdad got sick. He got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And I believe it took only seven months for him, you know, from diagnosis to, to death. Mm. And that turned my entire world upside down. Mm. I was up to that point. I was a pretty easygoing kid, kind of happy go lucky. I've always been like an emotional type dude. You know, I feel a lot of things and, and taking a lot of, of things. And, you know, they, my, my mom, and my brother would always be like, Oh, here he goes. He's on his soapbox. He's oh God, you know, drama, drama. Uh-huh. I'm like, it's not like that. It's, it's just how I feel, but yeah, you don't feel the same things I feel. So, you know, I guess I can't hold it against them too much, but no, he ended up passing away. And like I said, it turned me into a very angry person in mm -hmm. high school. It was my freshman year in high school. And that's already a tough transition for anybody. Right. And I'm in an, I'm in an all boys catholic high school and, and so it's already every man for himself 
yeah. I had my friends, that kind of stuff, but no one else that I knew was going through what I was going through. Mm. And so I was very angry. And then I started getting, uh, I was at a party one night with a good friend of mine at the time. And they had, you know, everyone's drinking, carrying on, but there was another crowd that went up on his second floor and started smoking weed. Mm. And I, and they were like, Hey man, you want to join us? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so I turned and I turned to that mm. and I got, I mean, that night, I will tell you change. It was another transition because I went from having this one group of friends to all of a sudden, like I walked downstairs and they didn't want anything to do with me. Mm. And I was like, what the hell? You know, it's like, we were all just in there joking, carrying on. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, you're high, you, you, you know, whatever. And so I left and I, I never hung out with that again. So, I mean, there was, you know, it just turned me into something that I didn't know. It, it was just a runaway train essentially. Yeah. You know? yeah. So much know where rejection. it was going. So much rejection. So much. Yeah. yeah. So much judgment. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Hmm. Just couldn't wrap my mind around. Cause I was like, I'm already going through what well, I don't, you know, grief, I guess is, is I didn't know it was grief at the time, but like this loss, it's another abandonment piece of like, I have no male figure in my life. None. Mm. You know, my mom's going through her process of grief. My brother was going into the, he left to go into the Navy. Um, my dad passed away in February of 93. My brother left for the Navy mm. in September, I believe of 93. So it was just my mom and I after that you know all my high school years and so yeah it was it was a tough stretch right there and it took me it took me several years to you know to kind of settle down uh, I got sent off to a boarding school because my grades were shit you know I was getting high all the time and whatever yeah. the boarding school it was good for my grades but it was in a different it was in a bigger city so there was better drugs available mm. so yeah you know I kind of I got in a I wanted to test those waters too. Yeah. Um, and there's times that I, you know, that I look back and I'm probably lucky to be alive from that, mm. you know, from all, from all those years, but you know, how did the, how did that trauma of abandonment and rejection manifest in your physical body at all? Did you, how, cause I know a lot of trauma that I, a lot of guys either have gut issues or, um, I don't know, just did it manifest at all physically in your world? For me, it wasn't physical. It was just all the mental. I wanted all that stuff to go away in yeah. my head. You know, um, like I said, I was angry. And the only thing that made me feel better was to get high and just kind of mm -hmm. get rid of it, even though you wake up and it's the same, you yeah. know, you wake up to your same life because nothing has changed. Right. And um, so more for me, it was a more mental game than physical. Um I was still playing sports in, in high school and that kind of stuff. I was with my church and um, playing basketball and those types of things, which I enjoyed, you know, playing the team sport. Mm. I felt a community there, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. With, with other kids my age and the same grade and everything. And I could kind of put, you know, the death and everything behind me in a way. Mm. And, but I just, I felt like I belonged. I felt like I connected Yeah, and that made, that made the biggest difference to me. And uh, we would go to uh, camp, retreats in different states and ski trips and everything. It was just another escape, which was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it, that, that was my community for, for the latter part of high school, even though I was still doing drugs and everything else when I was around them, I wasn't, mm. you know, so, but no, it never manifests physically for me. It's just, it was like, it was a mental plus, I mean, the amount of drugs I was doing, like I wasn't going to gain weight or anything else. I mean, wow. I was skinny as a rail. 
Wow. So, so wow. I guess that's physical part. If you want to go yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Not eating, not, not nourishing yourself. No. Um, so it's interesting because it's so sad. Here's interesting. I don't know if I've ever talked to someone about this on the podcast, but the word drug, such a misnomer. It's such an interesting, cause there's plant-based medicine. I call it like, there's been, it's been so healing. There's a massive healing modality, even like from non, um, non-psychoactive or anything with the brain, even like cacao, just the, the, the serotonin rush of cacao and having just the pure chocolate and like sitting in that and being, you know, processing all sorts of things to cannabis, to, you know, ayahuasca and mushrooms and, and, you know, there's massive variety. And yet it's so sad that we're introduced, kids get introduced to what could be healing, but yeah. is used to escape it with not any context around ceremony and, and even, I don't even know if the brain can even process that well, you know, prior to 25 years old in the prefrontal cortex being fully developed, whatever. But it's just interesting because what could be a sacred thing just gets so thrown in with all sorts of stuff, you know, the word drugs and pharmaceutical drugs, you know, what type of drug is like, it's so interesting, you know, and, and yet there you are trying to cope and feel better and make it another day. And ironically, those things did help. It's just, yeah, they do help. And it's not, and there's so much judgment what those friends of yours, quote unquote friends, because they're not friends because right. <laughs> a friend doesn't judge you. A friend loves you unconditionally. Um, but think of the pressure they felt by their parents from their, you know, it's all fear-based. It's all judgment. It's all, it's like trauma compounded upon trauma compounded upon trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know? with that group that I was with, I mean, again, I'm searching, I'm yeah. looking for anything. Yeah. And then I found, like I said, when I found, you know, weed or whatever, I was like, wow. And, you know, having, reflected so many times you know and made peace with all that you know yeah. back then a long time ago you're young you're a kid you know we all test the waters we all do you know our stupid yeah. shit whatever you want to call yeah. it but right knowing these days how far we have come and are continuing to progress like i have zero problem and, and i think it's still misunderstood and i'm glad they're finally doing studies and people can they can see the healing effects yeah. that these medicines, as I yes. would call them, not, Same. I don't call them drugs Same. more for me. Drugs are, are the pharmaceuticals. And I'm yep. glad that I didn't get into that yep. back then. Yep. I probably would have killed me for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not sure if it was either available or as big as it is, as it has been, mm -hmm. or it is now, you know, but mm -hmm. those to me are the drugs because they're far more addictive than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I could have gotten my hands on. Yeah. Probably with the exception of meth or whatever, but I didn't have any, I, I mean, I had slight access to that, but I never tried that stuff. That's the one thing I was like, Nope, I'm yeah. not going down that road, but yes, the healing effects of, you know, the psychotropics and, mm -hmm. you know, psilocybin, yeah. you know, THC, all these things yep. 
are so helpful and they've helped so many people. And I hope they continue to do their research so we can help so many more yeah. and kind of get away from this pharmaceutical takeover. It's like, follow the money who creates the narrative that those things are bad, but doesn't create the narrative that the pharmaceuticals are bad. Oh, okay. Who creates the dare program? Oh, wait, who funds all this stuff? Oh, wait, because you can't mass manufacture plants from God's green earth enough to keep slaves on this planet stuck in a system that takes everything from them and doesn't give anything in back, you know, like, okay, follow the money. Right. But the plants in this earth and this you know, I grew up with such a stigma around, well, I talk about my TED talk, like therapy or even tree huggers, like, bro, Mm -hmm. now I hug trees just to feel their energy. You know, I was like, I want to get grounded with that same energy that that tree's grounded in. Someone was explaining to me bio, um, bio energy or something like they're saying, look at a deer, a deer eats the blade of grass sucking all its nutrients real time from the earth. The deer eats that. And so the animals that eat the plants are the most like raw, right there pulled from mother earth plant energy Absolutely, are the most healthy beings. And I'm like, well, think of it from humans with like, we don't have to take this all about uh, plant-based medicines, but it's the same thing. The earth yeah. has these capabilities. We are part of the earth for dust hour, dust thou shall return. We're all coming back into this earth cycle. So the same plant that knows where we've come from physically can help us not just physically, but spiritually and all these things emotionally. It's helped me. I cannot even describe it. I would not be who I am today. Had I not gone through ayahuasca ceremonies and been able to process that trauma that I went through real time in a safe space without fear yeah and then cannabis to be able to really just learn how to have fun again and be a kid again that that's been the biggest thing is for me to like laugh again and not be so serious i was so serious just like i gotta find the answers to all of the universe i gotta i gotta just grinding like bro just chill and have some fun and be laugh enjoy like those and then the stigmas that media says, like pothead, just non-inhibited, no ambition. Well, what type of trauma is the person that's experiencing that maybe coming from? How about that? How about we talk about the trauma versus like the, the result of the, you know, so there's so much to this. So I'm glad we're talking about this because yeah, I think absolutely, I think it's, it's emerging, but it's yet to fully break through like a clear delineation between what the earth provides what God created and people say, well, God created thorns and, but you know, poisonous plants. Yeah. Oh. So you don't take for granted the good because 100%. if everything was good, you would take for granted. So we got to be intentional and we got to be aware and we got to still be good stewards. However, this earth can take care of us way better than they <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the authority figures of all sorts of, you know, it, all sorts of stuff. So anyway, I'm so glad to hear your story about that. And so where did that lead you? So you're, you're coming out of high school and then from, where did you go from there? Uh, from the high school, let's see, I went my junior year I was in a boarding school. So senior year, I decided to come back to and graduate with my friends that I had made. And where um, was this? Where did you grow up? In Arkansas. I'm from Arkansas. Little Rock, Arkansas. Yep. <laughs> Um, 
and I'd made a kind of a new set of friends along the way. And, you know, we were kind of back, they were still kind of doing the weed thing, which, you know, mm. by then I was kind of, I wasn't using it further than just, like you said, just having a good time, yeah. you know, and, and trying to find my own answers because it was like being a small kid again. You just sit there, you laugh about the stupidest thing. And it's like, it yeah. feels good. Yeah. It does. You know? Yeah. It just, it just really does. And also going back real quick, like the answers that you like, I have to find these answers. When you're in those other states, you usually do find some answers. Exactly. <laughs> you know, which is, which is kind of cool. Exactly. And, you know, it's almost like falling asleep. Like if you try to fall asleep, you can't fall asleep. Uh, Victor Frankel writes about this in Man's Search for Meaning. He's like, if you seek love, you'll never find love. When you just relax and let love find you, you'll find you'll fall in love. You can't. It's just like you can't force yourself to sleep. You have to let sleep find you. Yeah. It's the same thing with these answers. Like. I could never string together the consciousness that I was able to figure out like a non-randomness, just clear connected uh, truths way broader than if had I like intentionally like, okay, this goes to this and how this is like, that stuff's exhausting. But when you just sit and relax into it and just be, it's like, oh, and we can get there in the face. Yeah. It's staring. It's, it's as obvious as day. And we can get through, we can get there in meditation and breath work and, and all sorts of different modalities, but, and not, but, and like you said, it comes in a very effervescent, just easy way. It just is. It's like, Oh, I'm there. It, it, I am. It is together. We are, you know, it's are. really, here cool. we are. yeah, here we are. Here we are. Oh, it's great. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, let's see, I went to, I moved down to Florida, uh, the Tampa area, went to St. Louis university, mm. uh, for my undergrad. And I started off as a biology major and I was there for two and a half years trying to get through this bio stuff. And we got into genetics and I'm like, no, I can't, mm. I can't do that stuff anymore. Like I can see all the zoologies and the botanies and, you know, the labs and all this kind of stuff, but genetics was too much for me. And so I was like, mm. I gotta, I gotta pivot here and so i got into um i switched over to political science oh. and, crim and criminology and so i graduated with a political science uh bachelor's and um and you know some of the things that happened in college too was some more like abandonment stuff i had a group of friends that i thought were pretty cool and all of a sudden there was one night and a flip got uh, a switch got flipped and i'm like i don't even know what the hell happened mm -hmm. and so it was just kind of meandering through some of that and not really paying much attention you know to that anymore just kind of mm -hmm. want to get out of get out of college and, and move on and so i get out of college and i start i move up to charlotte north carolina and i start working for i worked for corporate meineke for a little while and mm -hmm. it was just it was traveling all over the country mm -hmm. and i was only home one week a month wow. for for several months i was like you know this is <laughs> that's just a lot to do yeah and so we got out of that moved back down here uh, back down to florida and started working for a, uh, a large corporate, a financial corporation down here. And just kind of, you know, just finding, having, and just having a job is, mm -hmm. is basically, you know, cause I kept, my mom would say, you just got to get a job, you know, get a job. I'm like, okay, I'm, you know, you're young and everything. You're fresh out of college. You got to get a job. You got to get on your feet. Right. So I was, you know, so I was doing that stuff. And then I, at, back then I loved to have my back cracked. And mm -hmm. so I would lay on the floor and, my girlfriend who has become my wife eventually, you know, she would just push on my back. And I remember that this one night I had this lump in my left side. It was just kind of a weird sensation. 
And so I went to work the next day and the next day, you know, a couple of weeks go by and it was still there. And so I finally told her about it mm. and she was, a, she's a nurse. And so she was like, well, let's get you an appointment to see the doctor and figure out what's going on. Um, and that was around April of 2003. Mm. And um, I just been accepted into a graduate program in DC, uh, my graduate program for forensic psychology. And so I was super stoked. I'm like, hell yeah, moving to DC. Wow. You know, that's like a massive place to, of opportunity, yeah, you know, to yeah. kind of make a life and that kind of thing. So go to my doctor's appointment and this was in May of 2003, May 23rd, 2003 and drew my blood, asked what was going on, went, got some scans, came back and I walked back into the doctor's office and there's my girlfriend in the doctor's office. Uh, and she's just crying her eyes out. And I'm like, mm. I haven't even been gone that long. Like what's going on? Like, why are you crying? And she's like, just wait for the doctor. I was like, I'm not waiting for anybody. Like what the hell is going on? Yeah. And she's like, Trent, you have leukemia, you have cancer. Mm. I'm like, who does? She's like, you do. Mm. Because I just, when I drew your blood and that's my girlfriend drew my blood and sent it off. Wow. You know? So she's the one who had to break the news. And so I was just in a, just in a world of shit then. Cause it's just a downward, another downward spiral. Of like, right. I'm 25, 24, 25. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to be having the time of my life. Right. You're, you're untouchable. Like, we're about to move to DC, and who knows what's going to come out of that. But everything came to a screeching halt right there. So it was just, a, it's another kind of, it's, you know, the runaway train is, it hit another hill. And so it's like, we don't know what's going to happen. How bad is it? And so it's just a lot of rounds of tests and that kind of stuff. So instead of boarding my plane to go to DC, you know, or even driving up there, like I checked in, not in a hotel, but I checked into, the sixth floor of the hospital over in Clearwater, you know, on the, on the, on the cancer ward, you know, and it was just a lot of, you know, I don't want to die. I don't know what this is, you know, leukemia is like, that's not good. Mm. How do you get around that? So there's just a lot of stuff laying in a bed and all the testing that goes on, like the bone marrow aspirations and just a lot of pain that goes, is associated with that. Mm. And, um, the doctor that was on call that weekend was a kind of a goofball really he was uh he was trying to be funny but i wasn't in the mood mm. uh but I, I enjoyed at least his demeanor because it wasn't so serious mm -hmm. and so i kept going to him uh for my appointments and he ended up being a real dick and and mm. ended up losing his license after a while because of i don't know if it's malpractice or so many hipaa violations and everything else but he was one of the, he just ended up being a real ass and mm. uh, we would go for my my mom would come down a lot you know to see me and check in on me and so she would go to the appointments with me and he used to work out in seattle at the cancer at the seattle cancer care alliance and fred hutchinson and everything else mm. and so he was saying yes that's where they developed you know that's where the first bone marrow transplants were taking place i worked out there in the 80s you know i wouldn't wish one of those upon my worst enemy it's a crap shoot at best all these types of things Jeez. and so he goes but that's the only chance for a cure but I'm not going to, I'm not recommending that we're going to go through these regiments of chemo, this regiment, you know, when he gets to a certain stage, which there was three stages to the leukemia that I had. And I'm like, I was so confused, you know, it's like, well, I don't want to get past where I am right now. Like if we can stop it now, let's stop it now. If I have a better chance. Yeah. And so one really bad appointment, he was yelling at my, at my mom and my brother was there. I, I think he was there. Maybe not. I think it's just my mom. You know, he like slammed his binder down and we we're like, that's it. You're not going back to him. And so 
I ended up going to a different doctor and, and back up real quick. He had done, I think three or four total bone marrow biopsies on me. And he can, we, I saw him out at a restaurant one night and he was like, you know, Hey, celebrate tonight. Your, your numbers look good. Looks like the, the drugs are working. Cause I was on the latest and greatest mm-hmm. oral chemo at the time called Gleevec. And it worked for 90% of the population puts them in remission. Mm. And I was like, awesome. You know, I don't have to go, my hair's not falling. I don't have like, you know, I don't have a port or anything. I'm not going through that kind of a chemo. And so yeah. Yeah. he's like, yeah, everything's working. So anyway, fast forward, go to a different doctor. He wants to get my levels as they, as they are now. Does a bone marrow bi- uh, biopsy, draws my blood and everything, comes back and says, nothing has changed since you were diagnosed. It's the exact same. He goes, so the only, this isn't working. Some part of the 10% that it's not working on. He goes, so the only option you have for a cure is a, is a bone marrow transplant. So go get on the registry. Go, you know, let's start wow. testing your family members. Let's start everything. And so it was, you know, calling with C- and coordinating with Seattle and everything else. And um, my brother got tested. Mama got tested. I think my aunt, uncle, everyone got tested. No, no one was a, was a perfect match for me. Um, and they, I was on the registry and they narrowed it down to 10, uh, 10 perfect matches for me, but they were going to narrow it down further mm. to get, you know, the one or two that could, that could really, and then go all in on, on testing these individuals. And so I remember I was, I had called for my weekly appointment with uh, Greg up in, up, up there. His name was Greg. How I remember that, I don't know. But um, he was like, we have all these numbers narrowed down. But before we do this, do you have any person on your paternal side that could go get tested to see if they're a match just before we go all in on this other stuff? Mm. And I was like, I don't know. I'd have to call him. You know, I'd have to talk to my biological father and get that information. They're like, what do you mean? Talk to your, your dad's dead. And I'm like, no, no, no. I was like, my, my biological father is very much alive. My stepdad, unfortunately, is the one who passed away. Mm. And he was, I'll never forget that silence. He was like, oh my God. He goes, you have to get in contact with him. Do you know how to get in touch with him? The way your familial study goes, he will be a perfect match for you. And there's only a 3% chance that could ever happen. Cause you're half your mom, you're half your dad. So it's like, you, you can't be a perfect match for your offspring, but he was. And so got off the phone with that, called my mom. I was like, you're not, are you sitting down? <laughs> like, you're not going to believe this. Wow. Yeah. So we got on the phone with him and that's a whole nother story. Had to, you know, get him tested and he got tested and everything else, but he didn't want to go out to Seattle on his own dime to, uh, to have every, you know, to get tested further, to draw the cells, everything else. We had to kind of, had to, my mom floated his way out there, you know? mm-hmm. but he was a match. Perfect match. He was, he was a perfect match. Um, had the cells done. And uh, there was one afternoon that I was in one of the little cubes. I'll call it with a little curtain the curtain was open. They just got finished drawing my blood and I kind of heard some, you know, some people coming toward me and just kind of, you know, he moved right in front of where I was and he just stopped and like looked and he was like, son. And I was like, it's just a bizarre meeting. Yeah. I I haven't seen this, this human in years. You know, last time I saw him, I was in the sixth grade. Here I am 25 years old. Wow. You know, so a lot of time has passed. I mean, it's like, you know, close to 16 years or something like that. And I'm like, I'm like, Hey, what's going on? And so he walks up to me. 
uh, gives me a hug and then he then he kind of like backs away he's looking at me and it still cracks me up that the first thing he said after that was what are in your ears because i wear earrings i have two earrings and he's like what's in your ears and i'm like does it really matter yeah i have a fucking hole in my head right now i mean the, <laughs> what are you concerned with these with small things these small details right and so we had, we had a conversation then his his wife was behind him and she gave me a hug and that was another very bizarre situation, but, um, yeah, going for my transplant, they give me, you know, it was three days of oral chemo over a weekend to start on a Friday, Friday, Saturday, I kept getting my levels adjusted, go back, check into the hospital that Monday two uh, two days of IV chemo, like heavy, they kill everything. Like every, everything is gone is getting killed in me. And they give me a day of rest on that Wednesday and that Thursday, November 18th, I got my I got those stem cells and then I went into forget everything mode. Cause I didn't, I don't remember anything for, for days on end, you know, come to and yeah. So it's been, it's been 17 years now since then. Yeah. So this man who abandoned you, mm-hmm. who left you mm-hmm. was the only one who could save you. That's why. That yeah, that, that was a perfect match that gave me the the least amount of reaction. Mm. Like there's a they call it Greffer's host disease, where the cells find you for and they start attacking your body. Mm. So I was on high doses of anti-rejection drugs and this kind of stuff. You know, a lot of medication to keep me yeah going yeah. Uh, but yeah, you just sit there and watch your numbers plummet. And then you watch them, you just wait for days and just let them, you know, draw your blood and they, <clears throat> you just see them ticking up and then you wait. So, but yeah, I went through hell in there too. I mean, I had graft versus host disease in my gut. Mm. And so I was constantly getting sick. I was throwing up just mm. all the time. So much that I lost my voice. I couldn't talk anymore. Mm. Um, I had sores all in my mouth from the chemo. Mm. Um, I had to brush my teeth with like this little sponge looking thing. So mm. <laughs> Man. yeah, it was just, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff to go through. Did, um, did you have a relationship with your dad after that? I tried. Um, he and I talked while I was out in Seattle a couple of times. And when I was finally able to come back to Florida, um, I reached out a couple more times and emails back and forth. And just some of these weird kind of emails just kind of want to bring up the past. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care what mm. happened in the past. That's between you and my mom. Mm. And my mom, I can tell you, doesn't care anymore. She's moved on. Mm. I, and I just, you know, I've been through a lot. Like I lost, I lost you once. Mm-hmm. Now I lost my other dad. Mm-hmm. And now I've got a chance to have a relationship. And all you can do is bring up old shit. Mm. It just doesn't make sense to me. And so I told him, um, I said, we're going to talk ne- whenever it was like next week. And I'll just want, I'm going to give you the time and I want you, whatever you have to say about your side of your story, tell me if it's going to make you feel better. But after that, I don't want to hear another word about it. Mm. I'm going to get my, I was like, and I can tell you, my mom has never said anything about it to me. I don't know her side, nor do I care about it. That happened between you two, mm. but if it make you feel better and we can move forward, then I want you to get it out of your system. And we talked for, I don't know, a couple hours. I went down to the beach. I just sat there, looked over the water and just let him talk. 
on the phone the, or in person? Oh, uh, over the phone, because he was still in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, my brother had already had his, you know, said his piece to him or whatever, and kind of mm-hmm. dismissed him that way. But I was going to give him a chance, and uh, we talked another time or two after that, and he couldn't. He kept bringing up old stuff, and I'm like, mm. uh, I've got to draw a line, and I have to protect my boundaries. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and so. I haven't, and I haven't talked to him since. And that was in 04, I think. Yeah. Wow. 04, early 05, maybe. No, 04, for sure. That was the last time. But, so, you know. Yeah. No, I don't mean to cut you off, brother. Keep, I mean. No, 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 you're fine. I, I was, I was done. It was just like, yeah, that was it. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what I was going to say, or what I am saying is, so, how long from those conversations to when you became a father yourself and, and what was that like when all of a sudden you became a father and what did that bring up in your self and your world? Oh man. Um, I was what, 26 when all that happened, 25, 26 kind of dismissing, you know, all that. And then my son was born when I was, 33 mm. yeah because he's 10 and so he was born when i was 33 and that moment changed everything mm. it's one of those things that i've tried to describe to people and unless you have had your own kid <laughs> and you've been in that presence of that kid coming out however he's coming out or she yeah um it's one thing to see it on the ultrasounds and that kind of stuff when that little human comes out, I was a mess, just a mess mm. beside myself. Mm. I mean, as if you thought I'd lost my best friend, mm. <laughs> you know, just mm. didn't get a good, just couldn't contain the emotion of it all because mm. he, he, it just meant so much, Yeah, you know, to see him finally. And, um, I was able to cut the cord and all this kind of stuff. And just to see that miracle, mm. that beauty of a little human. Mm. scary at the same time because now you're responsible for something that you don't even know the responsibility of mm. <laughs> so mm. massive yeah um because i mean they didn't know from a transplant they don't know the damage that it's going to do to your reproductive system mm. so we had to do all the banking and all that kind of stuff prior to and so we went through all these tries you know and then finally one took and it was him wow. so that's amazing brother Oh, it, tr- it truly is. Because now that he smarts off to him, I'm like, do you know what I had? No, <laughs> like, Let me tell you about the past. He's like, I don't want to hear Come about on. the past. You're like, wait, wait a minute. This is a cycle I've seen before. <laughs> exactly. It's like, man, if you bring up the past, moment. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, I mean, I can, I can just see all that trauma all the trauma bonds of father, son, and you then becoming that father in that moment and seeing the little boy and, and also probably grieve somewhere your inner child was grieving that you're now the father and there's the son, but you're also wanting that father that you are going to step into becoming and meet and wishing you, you know, there's probably grief, even though it's probably, you know, the veil with the joy of having the baby, there's probably a lot of there's a lot in there. There's, there's trauma. A lot yeah, there's a lot of stuff in that. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And it, it was one of those things like once I could process again, 
uh, you know, maybe like four days, whatever, you know, when you finally get a clear head, but you're still tired as hell because yeah, you're a new, yeah. you're a new parent. So well, yeah. <laughs> it just dominated. <laughs> you can finally have, when you have finally get a, a moment of clarity and you kind of, yeah. you kind of ref, you have reflect and think about it. It came to me of like, I would like to try to find anyone to take this kid away from me or even mention it mm. of what I would do to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If anyone tried to take yeah. my child away from me yeah. for any reason. Yeah. And for someone, and that's what it was. It was like for someone to be able to give someone else that's you, half of you, a piece of you to give that up. Yeah. That, that was that reflection. Like, like I dare you to try to take yeah. get away from me, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. But it's it, cause it's a bond. Like I have never felt before. Mm. It's just there. And I'm like the, that father, son, father, daughter, whatever. Yeah. Bond. Right. I mean, it's like, I didn't know up until that point, what it was, how, what it truly felt like to say, I would happily lay my life down yes. for this little person right here. Yes. Man, it gives me chills. Yes. You know, it's, and it's, unless you have that, unless you've experienced that, the birth and everything else, and we've all been through trauma that there's not one person on this earth right now. That's not been through some sort of trauma. That's right. That's right. And so to put, to have your whole world in front of you, Mm. you know, you you just give them everything. They don't know that, but right. 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 But you do. Um, Our soul, I really believe in soul contracts and soul journeys. And, and, um, I believe that God, which operates, which allows us to operate under the law of free will mm-hmm. and the law of free will cannot be crossed, which is why this, all these people say reptilian, draconian, satanic, luciferian energy, whatever it is, this like dark consciousness can't cross our will, which needs us to be afraid. And when people are afraid, then they submit their, their will. And then it says, okay, now I got you. It's a weird paradigm, but they can't cross our sovereign will. We have right. to, it's like no one forced anyone to get anything right now. They might have threatened it, but at the very end of the day, our bodies are sovereign and they, no one can, can do unto us what we do not give consent to do. That said, I've always, I've realized that the law of free will exists prior to us entering this physical realm too, so that our souls surely must have been given. And I've seen this in plant medicine as well. Like, in fact, I'll share this one experience that I saw all these souls getting to see all the bodies of the genetic family lines and all, and like infinite rows and it's like these conveyor belts because time was moving and you could see what one you were going to jump into and then the ripple effect of all the other bodies and you could see like if i jumped into that one what impacts would make on these other rows and other rows and the peripheral impacts and and you could see the one before you so what was going to be passed on it was just like it was an incredible vision and i thought that makes to me the most sense that god saying look what you're going to jump into Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm Do you want to become 
what you you choose you don't have to and that's why people say well if god's good how does he allow stillborns or um or down syndrome or whatever people deem as just horrific whatever it is but from a soul perspective to know whoa if i jump in in that stillborn body but i can see the impact four rows down the seven bodies up, like that's going to change that person's life, which will then impact. I mean, there is such a greater perspective of all this. And I share all this to say your story is so incredible. And that the man who abandoned you, Mm -hmm. the, the guy who gave you life, gave you life twice, but also left you twice. Yep. The first was his, the first leaving was his decision. The second one was, Yes, also, it was also, also his, de- his also decision, his decision. Right? Yeah. Also his decision because he could have he could have had the humility, but it was his decision again. Yeah. So he left you twice. He gave you life twice. He left you life twice, and you wouldn't be who you are. This beautiful, gentle. Uh, you're definitely an empathic being. I am, mm-hmm. and you're a man. Which yep. w- this new masculine is being allowed to come forth because the feminine has risen, which allows us men to feel safe again. It's like, okay. Yeah. Now I can talk about these things and I don't have to like, Oh no, God, guys. Oh yeah. What's up? (laughs) It's like big dog and everyone like, Oh, what's up? (laughs) Um, Mm -mm. All a facade right there. All a facade, all just wounded masculine, all that stuff. Um, So I just, I'm just struck by, the intentionality of your story and also the amazingness of it from the human perspective. It's just such a mind blower, but also like from that soul perspective, what an incredible story that you jumped into. It's incredible. Like true. And you had a son, not a daughter. Right. Yeah. Like that. Also you could have had a daughter and that would have been a different dynamic, but you chose to bring into your world essentially you healing yeah. you it's just amazing i'm blown away by all this yeah it, it really is and i mean and I, your stepdad yeah. died your adoptive father dies like yeah. that how many i mean there's just sorry to, like, that was another thing that just struck me yep. not the biological father that you probably wished had died the one you loved died yep it's amazing it's a wild story brother it, it is it is wild and i'm glad i mean to that that degree that he didn't pass away my mm-hmm. biological father didn't pass away yeah, yeah. it sucks and it makes me still very sad you know people that lose uh that lose their loved ones and you know all through you know since i lost him and anyone else who's lost a parent i'm like uh, especially their dad you know i'm like mm-hmm. i get it i lost mine a long time ago i know what that feels like i know one down deep what that does and you know people who lo- lose people and it's just like people telling them it's time to get over it. It's time to move on. And I'm like the audacity mm. that people have, like there is no timeline for grief. There yeah. never will be mm. there. It's a roller coaster, but you have to acknowledge each stage and give it its due respect mm. in order to move your forward. Things don't get better. They just get different. Yeah. I mean, that's just how I've always seen it since all that stuff. Like nothing will ever be the same. It will be different. Mm. good bad you know you're still gonna your good days you have your bad days i mean that's okay just acknowledge that time and give yourself the space to be there it's okay 
And if mm-hmm. no one tells you it's okay, I'm tell I'm here on your podcast to tell everyone, and you will tell them the same thing. That's it's right. okay. It's okay. Yeah. Feel that. You know, oh, brother, it is. It feel the eh, yeah. And I am an empath. Yeah. I am. I as oh, a matter of fact, like growing my business and everything, taking different strengths assessment. You know, not the not the Facebook kind, that kind of stuff. Like, right. right. But to, it actually came like my number one strength and I never realized it was a strength, but my number one strength is empathy is mm-hmm. empathy. Mm-hmm. And that was very powerful to know. It's like, well, I've always been like this, but it kind of gives you a different level of permission to step into it. Yes. 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 If that makes sense. hundred percent. Like strength yeah. finders. Was it strength finders that you took or it was uh, the Clifton, the Clifton. Yeah, yeah. 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 2.0. Yeah. Yeah, strength yeah. yeah. Dude, that, that's so cool. When I have my company, I, every, um, every finalist or a couple, if I had more than one, but every person that was a finalist before I hired them, made them an offer, I'd buy them the Clifton 2.0 strength finder 2.0 book and send it to them. And I'd read their strengths. And that is, it's so, um, I think knowing that is part of self-love for sure. Cause it's a strength. And your yeah. strength and it's not like, oh, why are you so emotional? Why don't you tough it up or suck it up? It's like, no, this is beautiful. Like if you didn't exist, the world's less beautiful. If you didn't step into your power, the world's less beautiful. It just simply is. Yeah. And just to know you have that energy, especially mm-hmm. in the empathy realm mm-hmm. to have that kind of, I call it, it's just another power. My vulnerability has always been a superpower for me that I've always felt like there's power in vulnerability. And a lot of people 100%. don't, they don't feel that or they don't understand it or they, they don't want They're to too afraid to see acknowledge that. it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> but it's like, I know where, you know, that's the cliche if I wear my heart in my sleep, but I do. I'm a, I, I don't know how else to be, mm. nor do I want to be yeah. anything else, you know? Right. I gotta be me because everybody else turned the job down. Thankfully, <laughs> you know? That's right. That's right. <laughs> Well, this leads me into, you know, in, in this last bit of the podcast, like what you're doing right now with the bucket list and, and coaching and, and the experiences you're creating, like sh- share that, like how you got into that and, and what's and then what you're doing right now to serve and make this world a more beautiful place. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What I do now, uh, I've, I've overhauled my coaching stuff and I don't, you know, the coach, everyone says they're a coach, but I, what I do, I just tell people, like I provide space for men who are unsatisfied with their life to create their own path. And it's designed by them where they're able to live life on their own terms without sacrificing their own values and, or their families. Mm. And that's, that's what I wanted to be just provide that space. Cause I find that very important. Yeah. Um, and so in doing that, it's, it's the biggest piece of, of it is permission. Give yourself permission. Yes. Yes. You yes. know, and, and I tell my son this and I tell anyone that I come across, I was like, look, I'm going to try to make this as easy as possible for you. This life thing from what I've gathered, you can have five options in front of you, but everything comes down to two choices and one decision. Always. It's how it's always been for me anyway. And I see it out there, you know, in the world a lot, your two choices, your decision, whatever you decide that little voice, whatever you decide, whichever path, you have to be able to live with those consequences. Mm. That's it. Two choices, one decision, mm. but live with those consequences. Good, bad, or indifferent. Mm. But if you just, you know yourself, give yourself permission to know yourself mm. and you just move, move with that. And so the bucket list stuff kind of came around. I was just looking for different 
things and just kind of having fun looking online for jobs, whatever, you know, just seeing what was out there. Cause I hadn't looked for a job in a long time. And I came across this bucket list stuff, this guy down in Australia, you know, the bucket list guy, love him to death. I absolutely love the guy. Hmm. And it's got certified as a bucket list coach. And so we have a blueprint It's called my bucket list. Each one of those letters represents something we make a meaningful and holistic bucket list out of. Cool. And it's just, it's just living life on your terms. And so one of the things on the presentation, and this is really for anything, there's a rectangle that's full of 80 squares. One square is a year of your life. Average lifespan is 80, 80 years, give or take. So you see that color in the squares of how many years you've been on this earth and see how many are left. I take it a step further and I go down at the bottom, color in four, because you spend four years of your life on average sleeping. Mm-hmm. So you're not even conscious really of living your life. You're sleeping. You have to sleep and get it, but it also takes up time. Yeah. You know, so now how many years do you have left and what are you going to do with those years? Mm. But that goes for any, that goes for, you know, I picked men for my quote unquote coaching program to provide space for them. Because some of the groups I'm like, men are hurting right now. It's for anybody. I'll take anybody on. If you want help, I'll take anybody on. It doesn't matter. Mm. But I concentrate on men because they're not the most vulnerable part of the population. But if I can give them that safe space to be that way, and it makes their life better. And they're, and if they have a son, a daughter, two sons, two, whatever, mm-hmm. and they're ready to kill themselves yeah. and abandon and abandon everyone. Yeah. And if I can do something about that, I'm going to do it. Mm. So important, brother. Um, you know, when you and I first were talking, I was telling you, I believe when men heal, the world heals. And I was going to do this Ted talk that it's supposed to come up in February um, with my Lisa and, and the TEDx Rexburg, but we're having baby number four. So I couldn't, and I turned it down, but the, the working title was the me too movement us to pain is pain. And the whole premise of it was, yes, we had this me too movement where women finally got a voice to express the pain and the trauma that they had experienced at the hands of men. Yep. And it would be a misnomer to say only men because true women also abuse women as well, but it was directed at men. And how it goes, so unfortunately, is disenfranchised groups, when healing is not their moniker, become perpetrators themselves. And that's what happened is the Me Too movement, they got a voice and then they started becoming perpetrators and indicting instead of being a permission to see, hey, whoa, hurt people hurt people. So if they hurt me, that means they were hurt. And if I don't heal and I'm hurt, I'm going back to hurt another. And so it's the whole premise of the Ted talk was me too movement. Yeah. Women it's time to heal. Absolutely. hundred percent us too movement men. Absolutely. It's time to find the courage to say it and break your family ties. It doesn't matter what name you come from, who your parents are, how much money you did or did not have none of it. Are you free? And that's what it's about. It's just freedom and breaking those generational. I like, you know, they say generational cycles or trauma bonds, but I really do like the religious narrative when it says generational curse. Hell yeah. We're cursing the generation uh, beyond us if we don't break the chains. And this is what so beautiful about your work. And I'm so glad you're on here. I'm so glad you're doing the work that you're doing. Because they say the purest form of accountability is saying the pain stops with me. Stops with me. It stopped with you. It's stopping. And it's still like stuff comes up. I was just sharing my wife, like 
I'm still learning because my kids are getting older and there's new things. And I'm like, oh, this popped up. I'm like, oh, I didn't experience that. And yet, instead of being like, well, blaming or well, this or going to the past, or it's like, huh, I got more to work on. I got more to face. I got more to release. I got more to be courageous and tell the truth to myself and to whoever needs to be told the truth. And oh, just being a blessing and not a curse. And I know those are religious words, but it just seems so fitting in this day and age where everyone doesn't want to say these religious words, even though I don't like religion, I left it, right. but there's some really poignant words that really need to be said. We are cursing the generations beyond us and each other. Men are cursing women. Women are cursing men. We're all cursing each other if we don't heal. That's so it. I'm that so is. happy, brother, you're doing what you're doing. It's, it's everything. It's everything. And everyone listening, please, I, I will put Trent's information. I hope everyone signs up for Trent's coaching and just being around this brother. And you can hear his gentle soul and his beautiful heart. And it just makes me feel better. Listen to you. I'm like, Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No. I, and I appreciate, I appreciate what you're doing. And like, and like you and I were saying at the beginning of all this, when you and I first started talking, I mean, I felt an immediate connection to you. And yeah. It's just one of those, like, I have to talk. I have to keep talking to this guy. You know, it's like, I just met him, but I mean, your <laughs> yeah. story is incredible. It's like, I can feel that just even through a phone screen yeah. and computer screen or whatever, you know, whatever we would be talking about, but it's like, I can feel it because mm. you've been through some stuff. Yeah. I've yeah. been through some stuff, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and we've all been on our healing thing and even for us as i relate it to uh the me too and the movements that have been happening mm -hmm. to a boat or a kayak or whatever you know if one side's rowing harder than another you're just going in a circle mm. we gotta we gotta move this thing together mm. Dude, that's know? so good some sometimes so you're going to have to have one side row harder than another to yeah. get around whatever obstacle is there mm. but you have to come back together and go that and go that forward direction together so it's not one or the other but you're just like, you're just going to the damn circle. That's you right. know? Yeah, that's such a beautiful analogy. That is such a beautiful. Yes. Yes. Man, brother. Yeah. I want to tell you, I love you. I really I love do. you. I love you, brother. I, I, you're I, such generally. a beautiful soul and beautiful um, man. And, and, <laughs> dude, and, and now I'm a little closer to you. So we'll have to, you know, Absolutely. we're going to drive out to the Florida, uh, we're going to go, my wife's uh, brother and uh, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law live over there. So we're, we're going to come, you and I will connect in person. And then I just have to warn the audience when Trent and I give each other a hug, you <laughs> might feel the energy. Explode. It's going to be like one of those superpower movies. Like, exactly. Wow. <laughs> exactly. It's oh, true. And I, I actually have family over in, in the Dallas area. Oh, awesome. And I, and I, and I miss them and I, I'd love to see them. And I, it's, it's I'm making my plans to do all that. Awesome. In the upcoming future, for sure. Oh, man. Awesome, brother. Um, let's let's wrap with just how can people find you, connect with you and support you? Uh, my website is just my name, TrentHog.com. Uh, Trent Hog or Trent at BucketListCoach.com is my email address. Either one of those. But yeah, TrentHog.com has all my stuff on it. Find me, Facebook, whatever social media I'm there. Awesome. reach out however you want to like i'm i'm available beautiful beautiful and i'll put those i'll put those in the show notes and and uh thank you brother god thank bless you. you seriously god bless you and 
Merry Christmas. I think this is going to be released after Christmas, but Merry Christmas, yeah. to you, brother. Merry Christmas to you too. Appreciate yeah, that. It feels good much. saying it down here. I've come to, I, I've talked to these kids. I'm like, I was like, do they call it winter break or Christmas break? They all looked at me like, it's Christmas break. I was like, man, oh, yeah. I am glad to be Christmas. <laughs> it feels good. It feels good to say that. You know, Merry Christmas and thank you for everything you're doing, brother. And God bless you. And, and uh, we'll keep rocking it. Absolutely. No, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. And like you said, I do love you. I love you like a brother, man. I do. It's awesome. I'm so happy to connect with you. Thanks. I receive it, brother. I receive it. And same to you. And thank you. Thank Thank you, you, brother. Well, I told you there were so many synchronicities and brother Trent, thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you for your vulnerability, your openness and your beautiful journey. And uh, everyone go check out Trent. I put his information in the show notes, blessings upon blessings to each and every one of you. I am Lucas Mack. This is the Golden Rule Revolution, and I'll talk to you on the next episode. Thank you, brothers and sisters, for listening. For support in your journey, go to my website, lucasmack.com.